This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Steubing. This is the first episode of a four-part T1D Looks Like Me series that BetaCell is doing in partnership with JDRF for National Diabetes Awareness Month. Each Monday of November, we'll explore a new theme that focuses on some of the challenges that come along with type 1 diabetes. I was diagnosed the day before coming back from winter break of 7th grade. I was lucky that I was in a private middle school and surrounded by friends and teachers that were extremely supportive. I actually still have the get well cards that my class sent me when I was in the hospital those first few days back from break. I remember finally coming back to school and giving a presentation about type 1 to all the faculty and staff. Back then, I was on Lente for my long-acting insulin, and it peaked around 6 hours after I took it in the morning. So I had to have a certain amount of carbs for lunch and an afternoon snack at the same time every day. Looking back now... I'm kind of amazed that I had the wherewithal to deal with this at 13 years old when I was at school half the day. I can't imagine what my parents would have done if I was too young to test myself or give my own shots, and if my school wasn't as supportive as it was. So this week, we're looking at how to find and work with a new school when you have a young child with type 1. I spoke with Greg and Christina Dooley about their daughter Isabella, who was diagnosed when she was just 2 years old. They were living in Mexico at the time, but they moved back to Ohio soon after and had to find a preschool for her. We're Greg and Christina Dooley. We're parents to Isabella. Uh, She's six years old. We call her Isa, I-S-A. A A lot of people have trouble pronouncing that. And Isa was diagnosed with type 1 uh, when she was two years old, so August 28, 2012. Isa is a triplet, so she has a brother named Max and a sister named Mia. And that brings some interesting challenges in and of itself for us as parents. And also with throwing uh, type 1 into the mix, we really haven't slept since they were born, I think. Neither Greg or I have anybody in our families with type 1 diabetes. So we were really unfamiliar with what that meant. We had no idea when we went to the hospital that day just how much this disease would become a part of our lives as well as Issa's and the amount of care and time that it takes to manage. And so it was challenging, obviously, on on all fronts. You move back to Ohio and you start looking for school. How much does Issa's type 1 diabetes play a part in that school search for you? I guess I didn't realize until I actually started doing that how much of a factor this would be in whether or not schools would be welcoming to Issa and A couple of the schools I talked to just flat out said they didn't want to have the liability of having a child with type 1 diabetes in the school. There was actually one school that said, you you can homeschool Issa and your other two are welcome here. And I I wanted to say to the person, are you really, are you being serious? (laughs) You know, yes, we were upset about that reaction, but those are clearly places that were not the right places for our our family and for our children. So if they're not willing to... um, accept someone because they're different, that's not the kind of place we want to be involved in. 
we were really lucky. One of the last schools I contacted, and fortunately, because we were from here um, originally, we had friends and family back here that we asked for, please let us know if you know of a school that's nurturing and caring and will take in Isa and our other two children and care for them, you know, as they should. And so luckily we called one of those schools that was recommended to us. And I just kind of blurted out in the first 30 seconds that, you know, we have triplets and one of them has type one diabetes and just tell me now, basically, if that's something you would even consider. And the woman who I spoke with, who was the owner of the school, she said, we know nothing about this disease. You know, we know nothing about it. We don't have any kids here with type one, but if you are willing to teach us and and train us on what we need to know, you know, we would be happy to consider them. So we went for a visit when we moved back and we loved the school. And ultimately that's where they ended up being for three years. And interestingly enough, it was a school that didn't have a full-time nurse on staff, which uh, they, they didn't have a nurse at all. Actually, they the teachers themselves really took the responsibility of checking Issa's blood sugar. Um, she Issa has an, uh, wears an Omnipod insulin pump, dos- dosing her insulin, you know, carb counting. They had a put all of the school lunches and snacks, they carb counted everything for us. It was, it was a really wonderful experience, but we did have those initial bumps and frustrations and really disappointment when, when we realized the discrimination that she might face going forward. If this is what's happening at the preschool level, you know, what might happen in the future? If you could describe a little what your thoughts were about what her future could be like, you know, because of this discrimination. You know, there's part of you that wants to say, especially for those schools that receive federal funding where they have to accept students with disabilities. And but part of you wants to say, you know, you have to take my child. You, you, don't, you don't have a choice. But then on the other hand, we didn't want her to be somewhere that that didn't want her. You know, we didn't want to have somebody looking at her as a liability. We wanted her to have the same experience as her siblings. We wanted her to be treated just as the other students you know, I think the challenge there for parents is you straddle two sides of what are your legal rights and then what are you willing to fight for as a parent that ultimately maybe isn't the best setting for your child. You know, maybe legally, you know, a school would have to take your child, but is that what you really want them to if they're already looking at it as, well, this is just another thing we have to do. You know, we have to, now we got to do this today. And we did, we definitely did not want that. We wanted a school that would welcome her and and accept the challenge. And the reality is that we don't have a choice and Issa doesn't have a choice of that. So we just want her to have as much of a normal childhood and and life as as possible. To a large extent, we're able to shield Issa from that today. So she doesn't know that there was a school that didn't want to accept her. She'll find out as she listens to your podcast at some point. But, uh, (laughs) you know, she doesn't know that. And there's other things that happen that you maybe um, rub us the wrong way, but she's not aware of any of that yet. What types of meetings, what kind of training, what kind of work do you decide to do with this school? And how is that received? Because she was going to be have her blood sugar checked in the classroom by the teacher. Basically, we asked that the teacher and any other people who would be covering that classroom that we could go in and show them how to use her Omnipod. We are lucky that after about a year at the school, Issa started on a, a Dexcom continuous glucose monitor, which she's had since then. And that has 
I think really been a blessing to us because a couple of people at the school could have the app on their phones. They could monitor it so that the teacher wouldn't necessarily have to be the sole person paying attention to all those things. They had a great team in place at the school that at the beginning of the year, when they asked the teachers, you know, does anybody else want to come and learn? It was amazing how many teachers who we didn't even know volunteered to come and learn about it because they really cared about her and wanted to make sure that she was safe. And if they had to cover the classroom or something, they wanted to be prepared. And they asked lots of questions, which is really wonderful too. The teachers at the school every year that we were there, including this year, even though we're no longer at that school, walked with us in our JDRF walk and became part of our walk team. So we we just felt an immense amount of support at that school. And we we know a lot of people who do not have that fortune, good fortune to find a place like that. So we do feel really lucky that we, that, that, that was our, our scenario. And I don't know, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if part of it was because we were just so upfront about what it would mean to take care of Isa. We didn't sugarcoat it. We were just very honest and from the start. And I think they appreciated that. Do you think they saw it as a, as a burden at all? And the teachers volunteering to do it, were they, Looking at it from a standpoint of, oh, my gosh, if I'm, you know, her teacher and she has a low blood sugar, I could get in trouble. Or what was their view on Issa having type 1 diabetes? That's a good question. And I've never really thought about it that way. I'm sure it's a huge responsibility for any caregiver, whether you're a parent, a school nurse, uh, a teacher, and, you know, these were people, this was not a situation where there was a school nurse on staff, someone they could turn to to get advice or, you know, have somebody come down to the classroom. But I'm sure there was a sense of just the responsibility that they had. And probably as we at times being parents, just the fear of what could go wrong and making sure that you're doing everything in your power to avoid something going wrong, going horribly wrong. So I think there was a genuine interest from the staff members to learn about type one and learn about what this was all about. The way we approach it, Christina and I and our family is, you know, very much with a positive attitude and positive outlook. It doesn't mean we don't have bad days because we do. And as you know, there are good days and there are bad days. And some of those bad days are really bad. So we don't try to necessarily sugarcoat it for the staff and the school. We were very clear about here are the things that that we need to do. Here are the things that we expect, but also here's what could go wrong. And here's what you need to do if something goes wrong. And so partly what we were trying to do in that is prepare them for here's some scenarios that could happen. Thankfully, they haven't happened. But if they do, here's what you need to do so that they're ready for that. And so I'm sure there was maybe I'll call it fear or just general concern that something could go wrong and pretty much at any time, you know, with, with diabetes, you just never know. Could you describe just a little bit for me what a 504 plan is and, you know, why, why they would need it, what, what that entails? It's a government regulation that basically says that students with disabilities are allowed and required to have accommodations to ensure basically that their learning environment and their experience will be similar to other students. So 
if, for example, she was very low or very high right before she was going to take a test, she would be permitted to either have additional time or retake the test on another day so that her diabetes does not impact her test taking. Or things like you know, one of the accommodations that she needs and others with type 1 need is access to a restroom and access to water. So if your blood sugar is very high, you're probably going to be running to the restroom quite a bit. And in her class, students are not necessarily permitted to go to the restroom whenever they want. So that's something that's important. Or she needs water. So if she's very high um, and high for extended periods of time, she needs to drink water to make sure she doesn't develop ketones and help to flush those out. And other students in the class are not allowed to have access to water all day long. So uh, the 504 plan is not intended to be demands placed on a school. It's really an agreement between the family and the school to uh, document what those accommodations will be. And do you think that when you go to a school with a 504 plan, it looks almost like it looks very aggressive? Like, you know, I'm a parent, my child has a disability, this is what I'm demanding you do? Yeah, it's funny you say that. So we had a meeting with the new school. So Isabella's in the public school here in kindergarten. And we had a meeting the week before school started. And we went to that meeting with, you know, I don't know how many pages, maybe a 10-page 504 plan. And if you read it, it very much sounds like here's the demands from this family of what they want and expect the school to do. But we went to the school. And the very first thing I said when we sat down in the meeting was, Here's a plan that we put together. If you're familiar with the ADA guidelines for 504 plans, you're going to see a lot of similarities here. These are not demands from us. These are just things that we would like to see to keep our daughter healthy. And if if there's anything in here that concerns you, we'd like to talk about that and figure out how we address it. Had we gone to that meeting and said, here's our plan, and this is what we demand you to do, it probably would have been a very different reception from the school, from the nurse and the the counselor and the principal. And thankfully, they're really on top of diabetes care. So they've had kids in the past with type 1. They do their own training for not only the teachers that are immediately involved with Isabella's care, but others who want to learn about it. You know, unfortunately, I think we know a lot of other families, whether demanding or not demanding on the side of the parents, some schools are just not receptive and they don't want to work as a team. They're doing this because they have to do it. Not to say that they don't want their students to be healthy, but it's just a very different experience for other families that we know. And I think for us, one of the things that we've tried to do is just, again, make it a team-based approach. So we're not demanding anything. These are things that we would like to see because we think this is in the best interest of Visa. But if this makes you uncomfortable, then we'd like to talk about it and figure out how we work together as a team. When ESA started in this public kindergarten this year, is it different at all from the experience at the private preschool and pre-K? The experience leading up to the start of school was very different. The private school that they were at also operates in the summer, so there are people available that you can sit down and talk with before the school year starts. In public school districts, oftentimes the teachers and the staff are not there for most of the summer till just maybe a week or two before school starts. And so we were really getting anxious, I think, about 
getting the 504 plan uh, meeting set up and we didn't know who the nurse would be, if there would be a nurse full time. We had a lot of questions. When would she be checked? Would she be checked in the classroom? How many times a day would she be checked? What would we have to send to school? Um, and Do we have to send a, the snacks or does the school provide it? Because those were all things, for example, in the private school we had, it was different. And so about a week before school started, we finally got contact from the school. So I would say that was probably the one time so far that we really were on edge because we didn't know if we were going to be comfortable having Issa start at this school. We knew nothing about what was going to be going on. So we, we got the call that our 504 plan meeting was set up and we were very nervous about it. And and actually, I would say Greg and I, we were ready to be a little demanding because we were feeling like they didn't know what was going on or they wouldn't know, but we were proven wrong. I think to some extent we went to that meeting and did get to meet with the district nurse and the counselor. There were still a lot of questions though. And this was just about four days before the start of school. They were not going to have a full-time nurse. They were going to, uh, it was going to be a, a part-time thing and a nurse who was floating between schools. So we were very concerned about that. Luckily on the first day of school, I went in and I had set up a meeting with the nurse that morning so that I could show her Issa's pump and, and all those kinds of things. And I would I will say one thing, that even if schools have had students with type 1 come through, because of technology, everyone's care is so different now and the management of it is so different that whether they have a pump or a CGM or if they're on injections still, it's all very different. So they have the same disease, but the care of it is not, or the management is not necessarily the same. So anyway, so I went into school and, and I was really pleased that the nurse was there and she said, I'll be here full time. She was a nurse who had been there in the past and I had spoken and I would say this is advice to other parents is try to find other parents who've gone through that same school who have kids with type one and ask about their experience and ask also what were the good things and what were the things they wish they would have asked or wished they would have asked for. And I got some great advice from a couple of other parents who had gone through the school and they all assured me that the school was great, but that, for example, Issa needs to leave for lunch a couple minutes early to so that she can, if she needs to use the restroom, needs to do, um, go to the nurse to be checked, that she has time to do that and have time to eat her lunch because otherwise she'll be rushing through and will definitely not be able to finish everything, which for anyone with type one, once you bowl is for those carbs, you got to eat it. So I will say the week leading up to school, we were nerve wracked about what would happen. It's been a little over a month since school started and we've been very happy so far with the communication from the school. Issa is the only kid in the school this year with type one, which is interesting for a larger public school. But again, they've had kids there before. And, um, so far, you know, things have gone smoothly and the nurse, I would say, calls us probably three or four times a day right now, which is okay for us. We encourage that. And I would say that's a key thing for us too, is to make sure that she knows she is never a nuisance to us if she calls us, no matter what, um, because we want, we'd rather she ask the questions than make judgment calls on things that maybe aren't right. And so as she's learning more about Issa and learning about her schedule and all those things, we would much rather she call us and ask. What sort of questions is she asking you? So for example, if Issa is just like, let, let's say she's getting to ready to go to recess and she's 90, 
she'll call and say, you know, she's in still in range, but do you want me to give her a glucose tab so that she doesn't drop during, re you know, if she's still got insulin on board or, you know, so it's kind of those kinds of questions, more strategy and things that aren't in the 504 plan because they're not cut and dry answers. It really depends. It's situational. So, okay, so she's got recess and, and, and also they're going to be outside and it's 80 degrees outside and we know that's going to make her probably drop even more. So looking at those kinds of things. So she'll call and she'll say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Is this what I should do? You can't lay out every situation that's going to happen with type one in a 504 plan. You just can't. And so she's been great. You know, we have her number on speed dial and, you know, she's in my contacts. We already in just the month have gotten to know her really well. And actually she joined our team for our JDRF walk. She walked with us this year. So Issa was really excited that her nurse came, which was exciting. You know, I know Issa's only six years old. But how much of her management does she control, if any of it? You know, she's the one that lives with this. We don't. We're uh, doing our best to take care of her, making sure she has the right outlook. But eventually, at some point, she is going to be the one managing this on a daily basis. And we want her to be prepared. And so, you know, some of the simple things that we let her do now or make sure that she feels comfortable doing is... If she wears an Omnipod pump and she also wears a Dexcom, so we need to change the Omnipod. And we might give her some options. Do you want it on your arm or do you want it on your leg? And so she always chooses her, her sight changes of where the next one's going to go. And this is probably more of a recent thing, but if she's low, we'll give her a choice of what she wants. You know, do you, you want to have a juice? Do you want to have two glucose tabs? And all of those things, they seem like small decisions, but it's a way to involve her in her own care and just help her to know that she, you know, she's in control of something. We also have things that are just non-negotiables. So she has to wear the pump. She has to wear her Dexcom. And right now, those are things that she doesn't have a choice about. She's never fought us about those things. And maybe it helps that we give her a choice of where she's going to wear it. At some point, maybe she's going to say, I don't want to wear this pod anymore, you know, or I don't want to wear the Dexcom. And we've talked a little bit about just at what point are we going to be okay with her making that decision? Because, it, you know, it's her body. And right now, we're the ones making that call that she is wearing an insulin pump and CGM. At some point, if she chooses not to wear one, we're you know, probably going to have to respect that decision. We're just going to have to think about what's the right timing of that. When is she the right age to make that call? I'll say, hey, we're getting ready for school in the morning. And I'll say, Isa, can you go get your kit, your, your diabetes kit? It's upstairs and I need it. And sometimes she'll complain and say, why do I always have to get it? And, you know, sometimes I'll respond with, well, it's your kit and you need to make sure it's with you at all times. But at the same time, I realized that this is a huge responsibility for a six-year-old. So when I sense that she doesn't really want to go get her kit, then sometimes I'll be more understanding and I'll be thinking about just this is a huge weight on her shoulders as a six-year-old. And so you know, I'll just go get it myself. But we do think it's important for small children that they do have some sense of responsibility and as they grow older, they're going to be the ones managing it. So they have to understand what that means and why it's important.
Betatel is produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. You can follow the Dooleys on their blog at inspiredbyisabella.com. To get more resources related to sending your child to school, or to be connected with a JDRF outreach volunteer who has experience in diabetes in the school setting, check out JDRF's school-related resources, which I've linked to in the episode description. Be sure to subscribe to Beta Cell on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or the NPR One app to get the next three episodes of this T1D Looks Like Me series delivered automatically to you. You can find Beta Cell on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Beta Cell Podcast. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Beta Cell. <laughs> <laughs>